This is Nikki Toyamasito, the executive director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for 20 Minute Takes. On this episode, we talk with Kristen Komarniki. She's a senior director of dialogue here at Christians for Social Action, and she runs a program called Oriented to Love. Oriented to Love gathers people across theological spectrums, across lived experiences, and diversity around the LGBTQ Christian experience. We've asked Kristen onto this episode to give us some advice about how it is that communities and leaders can move into conflict in healthy ways. We've noticed that a lot of Christian colleges, churches, and denominations are having difficult conversations around human sexuality and the role of LGBTQ Christians in the life of their church or on their campus. Kristen gives us some tips, some reflections, and some advice to help communities navigate these difficult questions with greater compassion and hope. Kristen Komarniki, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. Thanks for having me. Um, I think one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you on is that we are noticing, uh, whether it's at a Christian school or within churches, uh, that there are ways that folks are um, wading into a lot of conflict, particularly around the conversation about the participation of LGBTQ Christians, either in the life of their church or in uh, their Christian school leadership or, or teaching sort of settings. Um, and we want, I know that you have journeyed with a lot of folks who are wrestling with questions around human sexuality, LGBTQ, um, marriage and the definitions of marriage and how those involve uh, show up in policy and how that affects the life of a community. And I wondered um, if you could give some advice for leaders or for communities that are anticipating that um, some important conversations need to happen and that those conversations are not going to be easy and those conversations are probably not going to be smooth. Uh, What advice would you give folks? Well, first of all, I would recommend that they are open about all the things you just said. (laughs) This is not going to be easy. This is not going to be smooth. Uh, People bring a lot of feelings to the table when there's conflict. And a lot of those feelings aren't necessarily uh, attached to the beliefs that they come. So we have our beliefs, and then we have the way our bodies react when our beliefs are threatened. Oh, interesting. So um, I think just front-loading this is going to be hard. It's going to bring up a lot of feelings. Those mm-hmm. feelings are completely normal. You bring this body, whether it's a congregation or a community, uh, campus community, you bring a lot of different beliefs and understandings to this topic, these topics, and you have reasons for the beliefs that you bring to this topic, and we respect those reasons and those beliefs. Uh, so just really normalizing diversity, normalizing the struggle, normalizing all the feelings, and just being upfront about the messiness and saying that we're going to do this together. And by the grace of God, we will be able to channel God's grace to each other. That's a really generous posture, I think, that you're describing. It's something about right coming into... Uh, a conversation, even if you're on opposite sides and, and and trying to have something of this generous posture of of listening and being present. Are, are there things you think that 
I mean, I, like in, in theory, I believe, I agree with you. What does that look like in practice? Are, are there sort of things that you can think of um, that would help people pr- either prepare their hearts or actual like tools um, when they're in these conversations that are very conflictual? Yes. Well, I think preparation is key. Uh, and I think that we are not surprised that these conversations are coming up now. We we have had time to prepare and we still do have time to prepare, even if it's just an hour or two before a conversation, you can use that hour or two. But ideally, um, an institution will use weeks and months to prepare its people. But um, yes, we can pray. It sounds a little cliche, but there's something very um, calming and centering about remembering that we are not the answer to any problem, that we are just participants, that there's a bigger story going on here. Uh, I think remembering that um, this isn't about winning, or maybe not just remembering, maybe working towards the understanding that this is not about winning and losing. This is not a zero-sum game. This is a community that we are all committed to for one reason or another. And what would success look like? Uh, success does not look like one group winning and another group losing because then there's separation, there's division, there's resentment, there's hurt. Success would look like deeper understanding. Success would look like uh, us being polished, all of us, as we learn to live in the rub, right? Um, And I think that anybody who's lived in a family or a marriage or a roommate situation knows Anyone who's lived with other people. Exactly. (laughs) Unless you have lived in a cave. And then sometimes maybe you're even irritated by yourself, right? Or a pet. A pet, yes. Uh, We are constantly making adjustments uh, to those around us. And we are constantly being asked to... um, sublimate our ego uh, for the greater good. So this isn't a new thing that we're entering into. We all carry into these conflicts, a lot of actual personal experience that we can call on. I think when the questions are painted as life or death, uh, win or lose, uh, even to a certain extent, right or wrong, Uh, because that suggests that there are groups that have it all right and there's a way that is completely wrong, Um, then that sort of of sets us up for um, more division and deep disappointment. So I think if we walk towards each other expecting to learn something from the other more than we expect to be teaching, uh, that's a really hard, humble stance to to take. But um, I think that through prayer and through even just realistic thinking. When I think back of all on all the times that I was convinced I was right, or I convinced that my way was the best, and for whatever reason, I had to adapt that uh, for the greater good or out of love for someone else in my family or community, um, it didn't kill me. And I actually came out of it a more knowledgeable, understanding, compassionate person. So I just think that's the way of the cross is we are asked to um, lay down our lives for others. It doesn't mean we give up who we are. It just means that we acknowledge that other people also are bringing good things to the table and that we have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Would, would you change any of that advice for, I mean, I think, that, I think that's great. Those are, that's great advice and really good principles. I think when we're having the LGBTQ conversation and talking about human sexuality, that uh, there is a huge um, 
a power differential or, you know, there's a, you know, it's, it's, I think what you describe works great, particularly when there is like a, a sort of a level, a levelness to the ground. Do you have any thoughts about um, maybe particularly for those who feel like uh, they are trying to be receptive and open to the other perspective, and maybe that other perspective is very well articulated and institutionally supported, blah, 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 but maybe they are in the minority and maybe they don't feel like, uh, is there any, you know, I, I think sometimes generosity, you know, being generous and, and moving towards the other, other people can take advantage and continue to sort of roll right over that. Any thoughts about kind of engaging with that particular dynamic or or from someone who's in a very disempowered place? Is the advice nuanced in any way? Wow, that's a really important point. Um, I think that... Uh, a godly approach is to sort of center the voices on the margin is to honor those parts of the body that um, we tend to think of as less honorable or weaker, depending on the, um, the language you want to use. But if that's not happening, I guess my, my counsel for those folks on the edges is that they really just hang on to themselves and care for themselves. Now I have to say that in my experience, the people on the margins probably because they've had so much practice in this, they do generally have the most capacity for grace. They do have the most capacity and the and the greatest willingness to show patience. I often say that what I've learned from queer folks about faith and grace, I, I'm just not the same person I would be if I didn't have those people in my life. And I think it's also true of um, my friends of color. I mean, what... Um, they've had to deal with in their lives is, is, is can't be compared to what I've had to deal with. So I feel like they've been in boot camp <laughs> for grace and patience. Um, but so I, I would say caring for themselves as, as needed, withdrawing from the conversation when necessary, um, cultivating relationships with allies, allies who understand that they will have to be on the front lines. I think that's super important. Yeah. That's super helpful. Um, I know that you have walked alongside churches as they have anticipated um, needing to really engage with questions of, uh, in their congregation, where their congregation has very diverse theological convictions around um, the participation of LGBTQ Christians in their church. I know you've walked alongside um, Christian colleges and universities as they have anticipated uh, the rollout of policies and that that is going to stir up um, really uh, different perspectives. What are some of the things that you have seen leaders of either churches or institutions do to help a whole entire community get ready for some of these difficult conversations? So when leaders of a community make available to their people other voices that they might not have access to and that they don't have any responsibility to as a relationship. So maybe uh, offering a webinar or a special speaker or a panel so that these ideas can be brought in and people can interact with them without the power dynamic of having responsibility, either pastoral or um, as an administrator at a college, for example. Um, that can be really helpful. It sort of objectifies the ideas and puts them out there um, so that people can interact with them without feeling personally threatened. I think that's super helpful. Um, 
I think that um, small listening groups, uh, maybe faculty groups or maybe board groups, uh, whether it's a church or, an, or a college, uh, people meeting within their affinity groups, for example, uh, can be really helpful uh, with the student leader present for students and the board uh, chair there for the, for the trustees, for example. And I think just encouraging people to share their hopes and their fears. I think bringing the human, the, the sort of embodied um, factors to these questions is really important. One of the questions I always ask people is, what is your hope for this church or this college? And what are your fears? And that just gets it down to sort of the, the, the visceral lived um, level where people are interacting with these ideas because they can feel so um, abstract but when people are interacting with their own hopes and fears, in other words, what's at stake for you here? That is so powerful. Even when you use those words, what's your hope and what's your fear? I felt something like rise, you know, in me like that, even that question and opening up that space of like, no, 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 let's, let's have this hard conversation in the context of, no, this is actually what we're really hoping for. This is what we're scared of. That's really helpful. Yes, and that is where real connection can happen. And honestly, when there is a lot of division going on, what people are looking for, I think we don't often know, but what we're looking for is a place of connection, right? When conflict is happening, we feel, well, first of all, our amygdala is activated. So that's the part of our brain that reacts when um, uh, there are uh, fearful or threatening stimuli, right? It's, it's just, it's just a, a body reaction. We have no control over it. Um, so when people are acting and speaking, when their amygdala is firing, that is when we do not do our clear thinking, right? Then we are reacting, we're shouting, we're, our faces get red, our hands shake. Because that's basically like, you know, if there's, a, if there's a lion at your door or there's a, a, um, somebody with an ax on the other side of your door, right? Your body is going to respond. And the same parts of our brains fire when somebody is threatening our way of life or our way of thinking. So we need to, um, but I think connecting with our hopes and fears outside of those moments when we're really activated. So in a calm setting where we're just asked to share what our hopes and fears are and what we think is at stake, those are the moments when we really get to articulate our thoughts to ourselves and then we're able to share them with each other. Oh, that's really helpful because I think even as you and I have talked about, oh, this is the preparation you can do, right? Like if you're proactively leading your community into a really difficult conversation uh, where people's lives are at stake around like LGBTQ participation in the church um, in this specific example. I think the preparation is great and the proactivity is great, but the other reality uh, that I think you're hitting on is sometimes these conversations create themselves, right? Folks find themselves in the crisis. Folks find themselves in um, a really uh, combative situation. And I think exactly what you're describing sort of happens um, do you, so part of what I'm hearing you say is kind of trying to do a timeout, even in the midst of when everything is ratcheted really high and pretty intense and reconnect with hopes and fears. Is there any other advice that you would have for folks who, who find themselves without any time to prepare? How can we be better reactors? How can we be more of a healthy and helpful presence in the midst of this? 
I think, I don't know if this is a, a tip or it's just an ongoing practice of cultivating compassion for ourselves and others. The more I cultivate compassion for myself, my own reactions, um, the more I find myself able to offer that to others. So um, this is just an example that comes to mind. Um, my father-in-law <laughs> was expressing, it seemed like he was angry at my niece for having to go to the hospital for a, a medical condition she had. And it just I just had a moment where I thought, why would somebody be angry at someone for having to need medical care? And so I thought, wow, maybe he's anxious that someone he loves needs medical care. So I just said, oh, wow, it, it's hard to see someone you love suffering, isn't it? Or and he said, he just, it was almost like he snapped out of it because I offered him this framing that I think was accurate, which helped, but it offered him a compassionate frame to step in. He's like, yes, I hate seeing her suffer. I wish she didn't have to go to the doctor. So I just offer that as an example, because when someone is in front of us and whether it's ourselves or, or someone else, and they're reacting in an angry, unhelpful way. Um, offering a reframe, asking a question is actually better than just, um, so for example, how does it make you feel that this person is needing medical care, right? I don't know if he would have been able to access that or not in his life, but I, I, by providing that frame, I gave him, it's not an out. It's just another way of looking at it because nobody really wants to attack their neighbor. Nobody really wants to, I mean, unless you're, you know, an armed nationalist or something who's planned to go and attack people, right? Generally speaking, in our daily lives, in our communities, we don't want to harm each other. We don't want to attack each other. So when we are in that mode, when we are in that amygdala firing mode, um, helping to reframe things for ourselves and others can be another way to to diffuse the situation. Wow. That is so, that's so helpful. Um, Kristen, I have heard you say, which I thought was just really profound, that if leaders are trying to lead their community into some of these difficult conversations, that it's the leaders themselves who need to be prepared first, um, that there's something about modeling, that there's something about really the capacity of the leader to honestly engage with their own beliefs, with their own hopes and their own fears that puts something of a glass ceiling on the community's ability to engage in a, in a helpful way. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have seen? What is the kind of preparation work a leader needs to do before they really embark on trying to lead a community into uh, one of these pretty difficult conversations? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I feel like I say this all the time, but I think people have to take their own uh, emotional and spiritual growth seriously. They have to take responsibility for it. And I think um, even though therapy has been normalized in much of uh, our circles anyway, um, I still think there's a feeling that, um, you know, if I'm a leader, if I'm, if I'm going to, I have to have it together, but that does not happen on its own. We need um, relationships of accountability. We need people that we can be really vulnerable with and, and safe with. And we need to do our own work, which means looking, taking a fearless look into your own heart, seeing what your triggers are, what um, what your risk factors are for, for bringing your own ego into something or um, 
engaging in power plays. You know, we just have to be doing as leaders, we have to be doing really brave internal work because I think unless we do that, we can't expect to lead others. One thing that I would add is we can't do this work on our own individually. Mm -hmm. You have to have a community. Mm -hmm. And I know that even though this is my job, even though on a daily basis, I'm practicing this, uh, when I have an issue that is very close to my heart, when I have a conflict, say with one of my adult children or a close friend, I don't try to do that on my own. Mm. I um, will reach out to my friend or my Mm -hmm. husband and Mm -hmm. say, this is what I'm thinking about saying. What do you think? Mm. Or this is a question I've crafted. Yes. Uh, And I I crowdsource um, because I get so much um, from their... They're just outside that the intensity of that particular conflict, right? And they can say, ooh, I, that sounds a little judgmental. How about this way, asking it this way? And we didn't even talk about questions, you know, but finding a good question is, is a great approach to um, understanding others and their their beliefs, their, their reactions, et cetera. But yeah, I just don't do this alone. Yeah, no, that's such- <laughs> No lone rangers in conflict resolution and- <laughs> embrace, conflict embrace, I should say. That's that's so good. I think as you're saying that, one of the things that strikes me is, uh, I think particularly in this conversation um, around how a, a Christian community is engaging with stories of LGBTQ Christians, one of the things that was helpful for me was to reflect on who are the people and what are the stories and the experiences that I have had around this conversation and with individuals from the community and how is that shaping me the 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 positive and the hurts and and i think trying to do some work to make sure that i am engaging with what is happening in the moment rather than rehashing an experience that i am bringing into it that has sort of lived on or or been unresolved Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of 20 Minute Takes. Just really appreciate the way that you were able to guide us um, through some pretty difficult times in ways that we might be kinder and gentler both to ourselves and, and to others in the midst of conflict. So thank you so much, Kristen. You're welcome. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at christiansforsocialaction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends. Mm-hmm.